Frontier Gentlemen, here with an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual accounts. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. Now starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentlemen. Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful. Now here is your guide to these adventures of the mind. There was someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you this morning. Is this Marshal's office? I'm the Marshal, son. Come on in. My name is Brian Beck, Marshal. My father and I got in town this morning. Oh? We brought a herd up from the Big Bend country. Oh, Lazy Bee Bar? Yes, sir, that's our brand. The fact is, Marshal, I'm trying to hit off some trouble. What kind of trouble, son? Well, you see, the colonel, my father, is a fine old man, but sometimes he just doesn't get along with people too well. Colonel? U.S. Cavalry, 25 years, retired. Oh. You see, that's the trouble, sir. He, he tries to treat the cowboys like an army command. They don't like that. This morning, when he paid him off. One of them warned him to go armed while he was here. Told him he was going to shoot him on sight. Oh, which one? Bud Stark, the range boss. Short, stout fellow with a... Oh, yeah, I saw him on the Texas Trail a while ago. Marshal, my father was probably fast with a gun once. He thinks he still is, but he's not. He wouldn't have a chance. Well, what you want me to do then is try to keep him apart, is that it? I reckon so. I'll tend to one, it won't work. If Stark's got his temper up, he'll find a way to make his call. Well, maybe in that case, you better tell me where I can buy a gun. You, uh, know how to handle one? No, sir. I grew up back east with my mother. I, I guess I can learn, though. Yeah, sure you can. But a gun fight's not exactly the place to start practicing. He's my father, sir. I gotta do something. Tell me something, Brian. How old are you? Eighteen. All right, now you listen to me. Don't go buying any gun and don't go messing around Stark. I'll look into it and try to straighten things out. But you get this through your head, Brian. Whatever happens, you stay out of it. You understand? Looks like Marshal Dillon has his hands full with a dispute between the owner of the cattle ranch, a retired army colonel, and the trail boss, and the colonel's son who wants to stand up for his father. Can Matt Dillon head off this trouble? Find out when you listen to this Gunsmoke. From June 27, 1953. And I'll be back after this with Frontier Gentlemen. Hmm. Madame Birdie. Is she foreign? I wouldn't say so. And why don't you go down and take a look this afternoon? I'd like to join you, but I got to get my editorial out. Maybe I'll see you later. Right. I found the tent. A huge affair. A hundred yards or so from the railroad depot. Inside, a crowd of men thronged about several tables, and I recognized a number of wealthy cattlemen whom I had met a few weeks earlier at the Cheyenne Club. Then I saw Madame Verdi. She was rather small, quite lovely, wearing a very simple white and gold gown which set off her long, jet-black hair. The effect was striking, as I was sure it was meant to be. She sat behind a small table dealing a game called 21. As I approached, she looked up, caught my eye for a moment, 
then returned to the game. I stood watching. J.B. Kendall meets one of the most unique characters in the Old West on this episode of Frontier Gentlemen. And that episode is from June 29, 1958, and the episode is entitled Lady Gambler. So enjoy this, Frontier Gentlemen, and Gunsmoke, and I'll be back next week. City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. People of Dodge City will argue their heads off on most any subject you bring up. But one thing they all agree on is the climate. They don't like it. In the fall, it's too windy and dry, and in the spring, they cuss the mud. And all through the winter, they say it's too cold and business is bad because the trails are closed. And now summer comes along, and they figure it's too hot and dusty. The town's overcrowded with trail drivers, and the flies are so bad they carry you off alive. Of course, they just talk. They don't really do anything about it. Except Chester. Sometimes Chester turns into a man of action. Chester, what are you... Why, Hokies, I finally got him. Got what? That cussed fly. Oh, fuck. Well, I don't care, Mr. Dillon. I killed all of them in here except that one, and he kept pestering me continually. Smart as a fox. I couldn't lay a hand on him. So you haul out a gun and blast a hole the size of your fist through the roof of the office, huh? It did sort of make an opening up there, didn't it? Oh, well, it'll be handy when the rain starts. We won't have to go outside for our drinking water. Well, I'll get up there and fix it, Mr. Dillon. I, I didn't even stop to think. Uh, I guess not. I reckon it's this heat. I swear I have never seen it this hot and dry. No. Not since last summer. Oh, it's worse, Mr. Dillon. Every pump on the plaza is dry. Only place you can water a horse is that trough back of the livery stable. <laughs> I remember one summer in Newton, summer of 71 or 72, I think it was, while the heat it's, and the uh, bugs... Is this Marshal's office? I'm the Marshal, son. Come on in. And shut that doggone screen door, quick! My... My name's Brian Beck, Marshal. My father and I got in town this morning. Oh? We brought a herd up from the Big Bend country. Oh, Lazy Bee Bar? Yes, sir, that's our brand. I saw some of your riders around town trying to wash the dust off of their tongues. Have a rough trip? Yes, sir. Half the water holes are dry. Fences across the trail in North Texas. And... But that's not what I came in about. Oh? The fact is, Marshal, I'm trying to hit off some trouble. What kind of trouble, son? Well, you see, the colonel, my father, is a fine old man, but sometimes he just 
doesn't get along with people too well. Colonel? U.S. Cavalry, 25 years, retired. Oh. You see, that's the trouble, sir. He, he tries to treat the cowboys like an army command. They don't like that. This morning, when he paid them off, one of them warned him to go armed while he was here. Told him he was going to shoot him on sight. Oh, which one? Bud Stark, the range boss. Short, stout fellow with a... Oh, yeah, I saw him on the Texas Trail a while ago. Marshal, my father was probably fast with a gun once. He thinks he still is, but he's not. He wouldn't have a chance. Well, what you want me to do, then, is try to keep them apart, is that it? I reckon so. Well, ten to one, it won't work. If Stark's got his temper up, he'll find a way to make his call. Well, maybe in that case, you better tell me where I can buy a gun. You, uh, know how to handle one? No, sir. I grew up back east with my mother. I, I guess I can learn, though. Yeah, sure you can. But a gun fight's not exactly the place to start practicing. He's my father, sir. I gotta do something. Tell me something, Brian. How old are you? Eighteen. All right, now you listen to me. Don't go buying any gun and don't go messing around Stark. I'll look into it and try to straighten things out. But you get this through your head, Brian. Whatever happens, you stay out of it. You understand? First room at the head of the stairs, Mr. Clerk said. This must be it, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I guess so. Now. Uh, you're Colonel Beck? I am, sir. Well, my name's Dillon, U.S. Marshal here. This is my partner, Chester Proudfoot. What's the gun for? You expecting somebody else? Well, uh... Bud I... Stark, for instance? Who told you? Stark been talking to you? How long are you going to be in town, Colonel? Oh, three or four days, maybe a week. Long enough to sell my herd and long enough to call that mouthy little foreman's bluff. Why don't you just limit it to selling the herd? I think you've been misinformed, Marshal. This man threatened me. I'm only aiming to protect myself. Well, suppose you leave the protection to me. I thunder it was Brian. That's who told you. It's just like that sniveling whelp to go whining to the law. I didn't notice any sniveling. He seemed like a pretty decent kid to me. A milksop, Mr. Dillon, raised by a woman. Never had a boot in a stirrup before a year ago. Well, he's never had a gun in his hand. Well, he's trying to get one in it now. He asked me where he could buy one. Stark. He's planning to go up against Stark. He was. He kind of figured he was protecting you. Why, the lily-fingered young cub. Why, I'll... You'll what? Have him court-martialed, shot at sunrise? He's your son, Colonel. He's not some soldier in a cavalry troop. Neither is Stark, nor the rest of you men. I'm not obliged to listen to this kind of talk, Marshal. And if you go out gunning for Stark, and if you're lucky enough to live through it, I'll jail you, and you'll stand trial. Now, you just sell your cattle and stay clear of Stark. Come on, Chester, let's go. Place sure is crowded. Hawk, too. Last January, you were looking forward to this, Chester. No, I must have been loco. See him anywhere, Mr. Dillon? No, he 
was over there at the end of the bar earlier. Hiya, Matt. Well, hello, Miss Kitty. Kitty, how do you do it? Chester's starting to melt and run down in his boots, and here you are looking as fresh and cool as the 12th of April. It's a trick, Matt. I just stopped worrying and cut out all serious thinking from the end of May until the snow starts to fly. You ought to try it, Chester. Well, I'm sure ready to try something, Miss Kitty. How about a pitcher of beer? Uh, no thanks, Kitty. I'm looking for the range boss of this Lazy Bee Bar outfit. A fellow named Stark. Oh, yeah. He's been here most of the day. Getting set to howl, I think. Well, that's what I want to see him about. Well, he's over there in the alcove at one of the draw tables. And you know who's sitting in the game with him? Cottonmouth. Cottonmouth? That crooked little tin horn? Yeah. Silk shirt, shiny boots, fancy hat and all. He hit town this morning. Well, he'll head back out tomorrow morning. Come on, Chester. Yes, sir. Figuring on seeing the game through might as well pull out right now. Words like that, Mr. Stark, do nothing but arouse my natural enthusiasm. <laughs> I regard them as a clarion call to a battle of wits. Cut the cards. Yeah, you better cut them, Stark. Really? And with Cottonmouth in the game, it wouldn't be a bad idea to count them. Marshal, you are maligning a reformed man. Well, you'll have to reform in some other town, Cottonmouth. You got till tomorrow morning to get out of Dodge. And this time you stay out. No, I just don't get what you're up to, Marshal, breaking up a friendly game of cards this way. Stark with Cottonmouth in it. It won't be friendly and it won't be a game. I'll take my chances, Marshal. All right, suit yourself. You've been warned. <laughs> but before you start this friendly game, I got something to say to you. All right, say it. We'll uh, take a little walk, if you don't mind. <laughs> All right, Marshal, sure. I'll be right with you, Jan. All right. Stark, I understand you threatened Colonel Beck this morning. Oh, he come a-crying to you, huh? You know him better than that. Yeah, I reckon so. Well, not supposing I did, Marshal. Maybe I wasn't the only one making threats. Beck was going to have me strung up and horsewhipped. Like I told the colonel a few minutes ago, Stark, I don't stand for any grudge killings here. There's people might call it self-defense. I wouldn't, and I'm the one who will be calling it. If you pull that gun on Beck, it'll be a long time before you see Texas again. All right, Stark, you can go on back to your game. Yeah. It appears to me that's... Pretty hard talk for a hot day, Mr. Miller. Well, Chester, it's the only way I know how to handle it. Just to lay it on the line. Yeah, and more than likely that's not enough to keep him from mixing. Wait a minute, Chester. Look there. What? Why's that Beck kid? And he's wearing a gun, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, and he's heading straight for Stark. Come on. Mr. Stark, I reckon you can draw any time now. Crazy the old man sent his cup out to get me. He don't know nothing about this. All right, hold it now. Huh? Brian, you get out of here. And don't draw, Stark. <laughs> draw? What on this mama's boy? <laughs> Here, now, give me that gun. Leave me alone! Thank you. All right, now, you little smart alley. Now, let's see if a boot in the head will teach you some sense. Don't kick him! I told you not to kick him! Don't you go... 
You had no reason to hit me, Marshal. That kid called me. You heard him. Forget it. Now go on back to your game. All right, come on, Brian. Get up. He wouldn't even draw. He just made a fool out of me in front of everybody. Come on, Brian. They'd be laughing at me all over town. They'll laugh at my father, too. Forget it. I'll kill him, Marshal. So help me, I'm going to kill him. Now you listen to me. Stark knocked you down. Yes, he kicked you in the head, but he could have killed you. He could have drawn and put a bullet in you before you knew what hit you. No, I told you not to buy that gun. Why did you do it? You know why. Sure, protecting your father, that's fine. Only you saw how far you got. So I'm telling you for the last time. Now you stay out of it and leave it to me. Now go on back to the hotel and stay there. Do you hear me? Yes, sir. All right. Here's your gun. Now stick it in that holster and don't pull it except to practice. You understand? Yes, sir. And just one thing more. Don't worry about anybody laughing. When a half-grown kid who's never had a gun in his hand stands up and calls a fighter like Stark, nobody's going to laugh. You've got a lot of guts, Brian. Well, Mr. Dillon, you think they're going to stay away from each other? Stark and the Colonel? Mm-hmm. I don't know, Chester. About an even chance. If it holds off for a day or two, they'll probably cool down and forget about it. That kid sure was spunky this afternoon. Yeah. Well, he's dying to have the old man respect him. Too bad Beck's so bullheaded. Uh, Matt! Uh, In here, Doc. Thought it'd be cooler with the lamp out. Uh, Well, don't bother about lighting it now. We've got a job of work between us, Matt. Uh, What do you mean? Some of the boys just found a body lying by the horse trough behind the livery stable. Been shot in the back. Who? A trail driver. Name of Bud Stark. We will return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, there's no place like home and there's no place like your home. Don't destroy it with fires caused by careless smoking in bed, careless disposal of lighted cigarettes, or the use of inflammable cleaning fluids. Ninety percent of fires are caused by carelessness that destroys lives and properties. Don't let it be your home, your life. Now the second act of Gun Smoke. Delivery stable is down at the east end of the plaza, across from the Dodge House. And the watering trough is out back at the edge of the corral. Stark was lying face down in the mud. And his horse was standing a few yards away with the reins trailing on the ground. Some of the boys from the railroad yard held lanterns so Doc could see to work. The flares of heat lightning were coming a little closer together. A light breeze had sprung up, but there was no smell of rain in it. The air was hot and dry. Hold that light down just a little bit lower there. Will you, Ed? 
That's fine. That's fine. A bad business, Mr. Dillon. Shooting a man in the back that way. Must have slipped up behind him while he was sitting there on his horse waiting for it to drink. Yeah, it looks that way. Well, as soon as Doc gets through there, Chester, you better go through his pockets, collect all of his effects for the nearest of kin. Yes. Well, he can get at it right now, Matt. There's nothing more I can do here. No. Whoever did it had him pretty well-centered. All the time in the world, when you're aiming at a man's back, probably never knew what hit him. Well, I wish it had happened some other way than this. Any other way. Yeah. Got any idea who did it? Yeah, I'm afraid so, Doc. Well, what do you got, Chester? Well, not much, Mr. Dillon. His gun, of course, which hasn't been fired. A jackknife and a gold watch. A sack of makings and some papers. A box of sulfur matches, and that's it. Well, he was traveling light. Matt, I thought Colonel Beck paid off his boys this morning. Yeah, he did, Doc. Stark got in a draw game with a gambler named Cottonmouth. I warned him he'd get cleaned up. Well, he sure did. Not a cent I, Mr. Dillon. Well, he doesn't need any money, Chester. No. Where's your gun, Brian? Well, it's over there on the bureau. What do you want it for? Been doing some shooting, son? Yes, sir. I was following your advice. I was over in the river bottom practicing. Drawing, mostly. Too dark to shoot at anything. I fired a couple of times, though. Pretty good shooting, Brian, to be as dark as it was. One of the shots caught him right in the center of the back. What are you talking about? Murder, son. That's what we always call it when it's in the back. Well, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't been out of this hotel since 9 o'clock. Got a witness to that? No, sir. The only one would be my father, and he's been gone somewhere all evening. But I'm telling the truth, Mr. Dillon. Well. Who was it, sir? Who got killed? Yes, who was it, Marshal? I'd like to know myself. If you've been out around the town, you must have heard it by now, Colonel. Well, I, I figured I'd better stay clear of things. I, I walked out along the railroad, watched the lightning. Who was killed? Bud Stark. Bud Stark? He was shot in the back about a half hour ago over at the watering trough behind the livery stable. Well, Brian, I guess we better be getting along. Just a minute now. What makes you think Brian had anything to do with it? The facts, Colonel. He bought himself a gun this afternoon, called Stark in the Texas Trail about 4 o'clock and got knocked down and kicked in the head. Brian, is that the truth? Yes, sir. He swore then he'd killed Stark, and about eight hours later, Stark's found dead. Oh. It adds up, Colonel. I wish it didn't, but it's too late now to wish. That's why I told him to stay out of it. Told you both to stay out of it. Went out and bought a gun. Didn't say a word. Stood up to Bud Stark. Why, Brian? Why did you do it? I figured maybe you'd think different of me, sir. 
I mean, if I showed you, I could, well, pitch in and help when you needed it. Stand up and face things. Marshal, what would you say if I told you you're after the wrong Beck? Are you telling me? Yes. I killed Stark myself. Father. Well, I'd say you're making a nice effort, Colonel. But you should have learned to appreciate the boy sooner. It's a little late now. You're making a mistake, Marshal. Father, you're wasting your breath. The Marshal's right. There's no use trying to lie. Now, I killed him. I'm ready any time, Mr. Dillon. All right, let's go. say this is on that fellow Stark. It'll come out of my coroner's fee. Yeah. Fine. Oh, I don't see what you've got to be so glum about, Matt. An hour after a killing and you've got the killer locked up tight and snug in jail. Oh, relax. Your job's over. Yeah, I guess so. I sure wish it had been anybody else but that kid, though. I liked him. Figured he was all right. And then he... In the back, Doc. Well, he's only a young'un. You can't blame him too much. I got him bedded down for the night, Mr. Dillon. Put him in the corner cell. It's a little cooler back there. Oh, thanks, Chester. Doc, did you ever in all your born days see a spell of heat as bad as this? Never did. It's a corker. Oh, well, I thought earlier it might get a drop to a rain or heat something. Heat lightning, Doc. Just heat lightning. I, uh, here, you settled that Stark thing in a hurry, Matt. Yeah, I've got the Beck kid locked up. I'm sorry it was him, Matt. I guess he's sort of disappointed you, huh? Yeah, a man can be wrong, Kitty. Well, it's been great for business. Everybody in town's been crowding in. They want to hear all about it and take a look at the chair Stark was sitting in before he pulled out of that poker game. Well, I guess that poker game was half to blame for it. If it had been honest, Stark would have had enough in his poke to carry him through the night instead of winding up broke before midnight. He wasn't broke, Matt. He left here with $4,000. He what? Sure. That's why he broke up the game and pulled out. When he'd made what he said he'd make, he quit. Cottonmouth almost had a stroke. Most of it was his money. But Stark didn't have a cent on him when we found him. He was... Kitty's Cottonmouth still here? Yeah, he's back over there in the same game. He went out to eat, but he Chester. came... Chester. Yes, sir. Come on. You think he might have, Mr. Dillon? Maybe. Court is still a cheap commodity, and you can't carry it off in your pocket. My bet's in, so let's put up a shutter. That's exactly the way I look at it, Cottonmouth. Dillon. I. Well, I still got till morning. That's what you said. Did I? How's your luck running? Oh, not too bad. I've had a few good hands. Better than they were when Stark was in the game, huh? Oh, we couldn't touch him. Took $4,000 off the table. He was pretty lucky. Not too lucky. He was dead. Yeah, I know. It's too bad. I figured that kid would get him. There's trouble with a green kid like that. They don't have any sense. Can't tell what they'll do. Yeah, sure. Where were you when Stark was shot? 
Well, I was over at Delmonico's getting a bite to eat. How do you know you were? What? Nobody seems to know exactly when it happened. How do you know where you were? Well, I... I was there about when it must have happened. Either there or back here in the game again. You weren't near the livery stable? Marshal, I know you don't like me, but that's no reason to try hanging a thing like this on a man. Were you over at the stable, Cottonmouth? No, I wasn't anywhere except where I told you. Straight up to Delmonico's and straight back here. I see. And where'd you get the mud on your boot heels? What? What do you mean? Every pump in the plaza has been dry for days. Dust six inches thick. There's only one mud puddle in town at that horse trough back of the stable where Stark was killed. You couldn't stand to see that money get away, could you? No, no. I, uh, look, I, I, I tell you, Marshal, you, you're just... Cottonmouth, uh... you're under arrest. Look out, Mr. Dillon! You made a mistake, Cottonmouth. No, Marshal. You did. I robbed him, but I... I, I didn't kill him. I was going to. I, I, I followed him, but he was dead when I found him. What's the point of lying now? I'm not lying, Marshal. It's the truth. to get out of that cell. Yeah, and I'll be glad to let him out, Chester. He's a good boy. Trying to cover for his father and all. Yeah. He'll make out all right when he calms down a little. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, wait a minute, Chester. What is it, Mr. Dillon? Listen. Say, that's coming from the back of the jail. Yeah, come on. Quiet now. There's a couple of horses tied there. Yeah, sure. For the getaway. <laughs> Colonel's trying to pry him out of jail. You're going to a lot of work for nothing, Colonel. Marshal, don't shoot! <sighs> I'm not going to shoot, Colonel. I couldn't let him down. Even if he did murder Bud Stark. It's all right, Colonel. Everything's all right. This is his last chance. I'm sorry, Brian. You'll have to face it out. Listen to me, Colonel. I... No use to lie anymore, Marshal. I saw him. What? I was out walking along the railroad like I told you. I saw Brian come up behind Stark and shoot him. No. I can't admire a man doing that. But he's my son. I tried to protect him. I've done what I can. No, they'll hang him. Is this true, Colonel? He's not a bad boy. He was just trying to help me. Just trying to help me. I guess it is, Chester. Yes, sir. But what about Cottonmouth? It looks like Cottonmouth wasn't lying after all. And he got himself killed for nothing. Well, he tried to kill me. And he would have killed Stark. Too bad he didn't beat Brian to it. 
Silk, under the direction of Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, Sam Edwards, Joe Duval, and Lou Krugman. Harley Bear is Chester, Georgia Ellis is Kitty, and Howard McNear is Doc. Gunsmoke has been selected by the Armed Forces Radio Service to be heard by our troops overseas. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Sunday night, you are cordially invited to escape via CBS Radio. Yes, every weekend for drama that will take you right out of this world, listen for Escape at the Star's Address. This is George Walsh speaking. Sunday night, Dick Powell is rough, tough Richard Diamond, private detective on the CBS Radio Network. met a gambler in Wyoming Territory and learned something about the terrible war between the states. Frontier Gentlemen. Here with an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. Now, starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. returned to Cheyenne in Wyoming Territory, I found that a new and thriving establishment had opened during my absence. I first heard of it over a drink with Carrie Chase, the editor and publisher of the Cheyenne Daily Press. We were standing at the bar in the Gold Room Saloon, and I remarked on the fact that the adjacent gambling rooms seemed unusually quiet. Been like this over a week now. Uh, any particular reason? I guess you haven't heard about Madame Verdi. No. Quite a woman. Sailed in here ten days ago, in Denver, they say. Got the biggest painted freight wagon you ever saw. In some kind of a omnibus for her to travel in. Well, I tell you, 
No lady's boudoir was ever decked out any better. Is she a medicine woman? Oh, no, no. Gambling. Set herself up near the depot. A big tent. Roulette, faro, anything you name. Brought in her own dealers, case keepers, spindlemen. Day after she arrived, posters went up all over town. And since then... <laughs> well, the local boys aren't very happy about it. Taking all their business, huh? Just about. What sort of woman is she? I tried to get an interview. Not much luck. Doesn't like to talk about herself. But I tell you, there's a story there. I'd like to get it. Yes, sir. Quite a woman. Mm. Mm. Pretty? Pretty and a lady. A real belle. Hmm. Madame Verdi. Is she foreign? I wouldn't say so. Then why don't you go down and take a look this afternoon? I'd like to join you, but I got to get my editorial out. Maybe I'll see you later. Right. I found the tent, a huge affair, a hundred yards or so from the railroad depot. Inside, a crowd of men thronged about several tables, and I recognized a number of wealthy cattlemen whom I had met a few weeks earlier at the Cheyenne Club. Then I saw Madame Verdi. She was rather small, quite lovely, wearing a very simple white and gold gown which set off her long, jet-black hair. The effect was striking, as I was sure it was meant to be. She sat behind a small table dealing a game called 21. As I approached, she looked up, caught my eye for a moment, then returned to the game. I stood watching. Cards? Yeah, you can hit me again, ma'am. Oh, that's just fine. You, sir? I stand. Pay 21. Well, I'll be no a dirty... No if you please, gentlemen. I ain't never seen such luck as uh, Buck the Tiger against Tin Horn down Abilene. And when he got through, I didn't have a tail feather left. The luck of the cards. Yeah. You want to sit in, sir? Uh, well, uh... Um, There's room for another. No, no, thank you. 21 isn't exactly my game. We have roulette, faro, dice, poker. As a matter of fact, I came to see you. <laughs> yeah, well, you ain't alone, mister. You see, there ain't nobody I'd rather lose to. You can go them out again, madam. What's your business? I'm a newspaper man. I write for the London Times. Well, uh, you English fellas sure are filling up a territory. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's as many of you as the Sunnis here. Are for. we playing or are we talking? Cards, gentlemen. <clears throat> uh, you can hit me now, man. Uh, and again, a soft. Nice and soft. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll stay on this. Hit me. No, that ain't luck. Now, let me see them cards. Oh, now, you take these here. Now, look here. I've been losing for better than two hours. I say that ain't luck. Now, unless you want me to shoot up this place, you just hand over that money you've been cheating me on. Put your gun away. Yes, I would if Mister, I were you. Mister, listen, you're willing to buck out and smoke. You just keep out of this. All right, Madam Verdi, I got a thousand in gold laying in front of you. Now, you just push it over and I won't no, be any... No, you Mister, you know, for an Englishman, you got a real likely fist there. 
Hey, look at that. He's asleep and as gentle as a dead cat. Is everything all right, ma'am? Yes, thank you, Ed. Take him outside and throw a bucket of water over Yes, ma'am. Tell Charlie to take over from me. Yes, oh, you leaving, ma'am? For a little while. Well, I'll be waiting for you. I still got a ways to go before I'm cleaned out. Perhaps you'll let me stand you a drink, sir. Uh, no, thank you. It's a little early for me. I'm grateful for what you did just now. But really, it wasn't necessary. He never would have left the tent alive. My boys are always on the watch for things like that. I didn't know. What do they call you? Kendall. J.B. Kendall. Will you come over to my place, Mr. Kendall? It's quieter. <laughs> well, I'm overwhelmed, Madame Birdie. I must say, I've never seen anything like it. My home on wheels. I'm a traveling woman, Mr. Kendall, but I see no reason to give up my comforts. Won't you sit down? Thank you. Are you fond of birds, Mr. Kendall? I don't think I've ever thought of it one way or the other. This is my pet, Trinket. She's been with me for three years now. I don't usually talk to newspaper men. So I understand. Mr. Chase of the Cheyenne Press told me he didn't have much luck. Some newspaper men have been rather unkind. Hmm. Well, I think that readers in England would be fascinated by you. What, for example, would fascinate them? The obvious. That a young and very pretty woman is running the most successful gambling establishment in Cheyenne. And she bears the somewhat unusual name, Madame Verdi. Hmm. It used to be Madame Vestal. That was in Denver. Mm. And before that? I was Mrs. Newt Hallett. My husband was an army surgeon. He died in Texas of yellow fever. Oh. After that, I tutored for a while at an Indian agency. And then I found that I possessed an uncommon skill with the cards. There now. You have my entire history. Or at least something to start with. Um... Where were you born? I think that's one thing that I don't care to tell you. Where were you reared? And that's another. <laughs> Does the sort of thing that happened before in the tent occur very often? No. Do men take advantage of you simply because you're a woman? To the contrary. I usually take advantage of that fact myself. <laughs> With dire results, I have no doubt. <laughs> Well, I imagine that you're not particularly popular at this moment with the gambling hall owners here in Cheyenne. I'm only interested in popularity, Mr. Kendall. When it fills my cash box. I stayed on for another ten minutes odd and learned very little more beyond the fact that the full name she now used was Lurleen Monteverdi. Highly theatrical, she knew, but felt it was part of her work. When I once again attempted to probe into her past, she excused herself rather abruptly and returned to the big gambling tent. I walked over to Carrie Chase's office and told him about the interview. It wasn't until later that I learned what was taking place at that same moment in a room behind the Silver Dollar Saloon. Several men were present, and their faces were grim. They were listening to the Silver Dollar's owner, a man named Jonas Root. Now, boys... Boys, I call this here meeting because we're all up against the same trouble. 
That trouble being one calico queen named uh, Madame Verdi. Uh, ain't, ain't, ain't no call now for us to keep on trying to cut each other's throats to get customers for our places. Because she's got them all. That's the way it sits. Now, boys, here's what I figure. What we need now is an association of gambling parlor owners, which association is made up of all of us here in this room. And we got a purpose. Which purpose is to get rid of said calico queen named Madame Verdi. All right, now lay off your tongue, all Jonas. We know that. <laughs> you said you got it figured out how to do it. Now get yeah, on with it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. All right, I got it whipped, I think. Now, all of you may be wondering who this here fella is I got sitting by yeah, me. Yeah, well, who is he? He calls himself Jack Wolcott. Now, he's got something to say to you. Well, you see, it's this way. I just got robbed up to that Madame Verdi. She took me for 1,021, and when I caught her dealing off the bottom of the deck, shadow boys jumped me. Well, they sure made a mess out of your face, mister. Well, I aim to make them pay for it. Now, now, fellas, we don't want no crooked gambling from no she-gouger in Cheyenne. And there's something else. I've been doing some inquiring these past days since you've been here. Now, I found out... Yes, sir, I found out something's going to get Fancy Nelly run plumb out of here. Jonas, will you haze the talk? Now, what do you know? Madam Verdi's real name was Belle Siddons. Belle Siddons? You mean Belle Siddons? Yeah, you know the name, Soapy. She's that Confederate spy, Belle Siddons? She is the same. Well, I was on guard duty in Grant Street Prison back in St. Louis when they brought her in. Boys! That's that rebel woman got Grant's troops cut off. Joe, Finch, uh, Big Al, you remember the raid on the Memphis and Mobile Railroad, don't you? All right, now, I say that what we got to do is pay a call tonight on Madame Belle Siddons Verdi. And we'll ask her nice and polite to roll her wheels out of Cheyenne. Yeah, I agree, but supposing she says no. Well, then maybe we ain't so polite. Maybe then we take her out riding under a cottonwood leaf. Yeah, that's it. In a moment, we return to Frontier, gentlemen. You hear a lot about America's new leisure these days. But take a look at almost anybody's weekend, including your own, and you'll find everybody busier than ever at all sorts of projects and outdoor activities. Everywhere, things are humming. And everywhere, you'll find most everybody adding a pleasant new dimension to their activities with a radio nearby. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're in touch with the whole world with CBS Radio's many regular news broadcasts scheduled every weekend. In addition, with a whole CBS News staff around the world constantly on the alert for any unusual developments, you can count on immediate and comprehensive reports, whatever the hour, in case of any critical news flash. Keep up with the world with the regular CBS News broadcasts every weekend on CBS Radio. And now we return you to the Anthony Ellis production of Frontier Gentlemen. Neither Chase nor I had any idea what was brewing among the members of the newly formed Association of Gambling Parlor Owners. 
I sent a message to Madame Verdi asking her to dine with me at the Rollins house that night. You know, I didn't think you would. Join you for dinner? Why not? I don't know. Perhaps you strike me as the type of woman who never allows pleasure to interfere with business and that there's only room for business in your life. As a rule, yes. Well, I'm flattered that you make an exception tonight. I'm curious about you, Mr. Kendall. Oh? Uh-huh. You're not the type of man I would expect to find as a newspaper correspondent. <laughs> Is there a type? I think you know what I mean. No, I'm not sure that I do. The way you managed that man this afternoon, something tells me that you could have done quite as well with a gun. Oh. Well, I've learned a little since coming to the West. <laughs> And what did you do before coming here? Well, a little of everything. You don't like to talk about yourself? There's not much to tell. Really. I was in the army in India. Spent five years there. Went home to England. And I didn't find it home anymore, so I got a job through a friend of mine who works on the London Times. I send back articles on life in the American West. They buy them from me. I've met Englishmen who sound a great deal more English than you do. It's quite possible. I haven't cultivated the accent for some time now. You sound bitter. What happened in England? I didn't say anything happened. You didn't have to. (laughs) Must be your card sense that gives you an insight into a man's thoughts. I'm seldom wrong. That's why I sit on the other side of the table. You see? It's so easy to ask questions. Not always as simple to answer them, <laughs> is it? No. Will you have more champagne? Mm, please. If I were asked to gamble on it, I'd say there was a woman in England. You'd be half right. You look so stern, Mr. Kendall. Don't worry. There'll be another. There always is. Did you find another man after your husband died? No. I imagine I will. You find me terribly callous? Mm, not at all. Refreshingly honest. I'm afraid I shall have to be going back to the tent now. I'll take you. I've enjoyed myself very much, Mr. Kendall. So have I. Have you any money? <laughs> well, a little, yes. You decide to play roulette. I suggest that you bet on the black. Up to a thousand dollar payoff, it can be quite lucky. <laughs> Thank you, no. When I gamble, I'll take my own chances. It was a fine evening, and instead of taking the carriage she had hired, we walked toward her place. Neither of us spoke much. We had come to the end of the street when we saw the group of men waiting outside the big tent. They turned as we approached and walked toward us. I felt a sinking sensation in my stomach as I recognized one of them, the man I had hit that afternoon. All of them were armed. Good evening, Madam Verdi. Good evening, gentlemen. Waiting to try your luck with me? Well, I'll tell you, ma'am, we're... We're waiting to talk to you in private. That fellow, he's with her. He's one of them that pistol whipped me. He's a shill. Let's go inside the tent, gentlemen. I'll buy you a drink. No. We'll do our talking out here. Jason, will you get on with it? Ma'am, we represent the Cheyenne Association of Gambling Parlor Owners. You ain't a member. No, I'm not. 
And we got a complaint that you're not running your games clean. The association don't like that. So we took a vote, and we agreed that you got to be out of this here town come morning. Where did you hear that Madame Verdi runs a crooked game? From him? Yeah, from me. Besides which, she ain't no Madame Verdi. I know you. Maybe you don't remember me, but I seen you, Bell Siddons, when they brought you to the St. Louis prison in chains. We don't want no Confederate spies in Cheyenne. I don't know anything about that, but she wasn't cheating. Your friend here decided he couldn't afford to lose anymore, so he drew his gun on the lady and tried to get it back. I hit him. That's all there was to it. You're a liar. And if I don't choose to leave? You ain't got no choice, Belle. You get, or you're going to find yourself looking through cottonwood leaves, which is what should have happened to you anyway. That's the way we handle your kind around here. Uh, There won't be any need for that. Miss Siddons is going to be sensible, ain't you, ma'am? There's a lot of folks in Cheyenne might not take kindly to you being a Confederate spy and everything. Might even take matters out of our hands, if they find out. You gentlemen seem to be holding the cards. That's the way to look at it. Hey, Kendall. Who's that? The newspaper fella, Chase. I thought that was you. Evening, ma'am. Evening, Oh, how are you, Root? Boys. <laughs> you come over to see how she does it. I hear your places aren't making out so well. I thought I'd take a spin at the roulette table, Madam Verdi. I should be honored, Mr. Chase. Why don't we all go in together? No, no, I gotta be getting back to the silver dollar. You won't forget our uh, our little deal, will you, ma'am? No, I won't. <laughs> went into the tent. She was tight-lipped, pale. Four hours later, at exactly two o'clock, she called a halt to the play and the tent was cleared. Chase, flushed with whiskey he had taken and the hundred dollars he had won, joined me at her table. (laughs) A fine evening, ma'am. You're a credit to Cheyenne. You run a square game, and I'm going to say so in my next editorial. Thank you, Mr. Chase, but you needn't bother. I'm leaving in the morning. Oh, now you can't. You can't do that. I'll be heading for Deadwood. Why, ma'am, you could spend the rest of your life around here. I'm afraid not. Well, sure you can. Isn't that so, Kendall? No, that ain't so. She's getting out. But before she does, she's giving me back that thousand. Ain't you, Madam Verdi? I very much doubt it. Go away now, before you get into more trouble. Now you keep out of this, mister. I'm talking to the lady. Now how about it, Madam Verdi? You lost fair. And I say I was cheated. Now you know, folks in Cheyenne can do a lot of damage this place. Maybe to you if they found out about certain things. Get out. I will. When I get my money. What's it all about? What? Oh, he doesn't know, huh? Well, Mr. Chase, you can print it in your paper. Print what? Well, do I get it? Yes. No. No, it doesn't matter. Let him talk. The war's over. People won't mind. People do mind, Mr. Kendall. I'm afraid they're going to go on minding for a long time. I wish somebody would tell me what people will talk about. Ask her. You're a scummy little rat. Maybe. 
But I was a rat that fought for the Union. I wasn't a stinking... Shut con- up. Don't cry. Here's your money. What's the matter, mister? You scared to draw? Just waiting for you. You're the one who's going to do the killing. Remember? Bell City. Dirty, stinking Confederates. Bye. Bell Siddons? Yes. Oh. I'm sorry you had to do that, Mr. Kendall. I am, too. I'll be gone in the morning. Thank you for your friendship. Why not stay? Mr. Chase... I think she better go. Thanks to Miss Siddons... I lost my brother in the Memphis Mobile raid. I'll wait for you outside, Kendall. Frontier Gentlemen was written, produced, and directed by Anthony Ellis and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Jeannie Bates, Lawrence Dobkin, Stacey Harris, Harry Bartell, and Jack Crucian. Join us again next week for another report from The Frontier Gentleman. Bud Sewell speaking. <laughs>